Bankless Nation, we've got another segment for you, something special today, something different, something um, I guess we need to talk about. We had a regular State of the Nation planned, but uh, events overtook it once again. It's been the story of the last three weeks. I think what people want to know in today's episode is what's happening with Genesis? This large institutional crypto lender, is this the next domino to fall? If that happens, what happens next? And then higher level, as David was pitching me this episode, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that picture of Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And he's got like, uh, let me share the picture as I'm talking. He's like in front of uh, some kind of a board, like a half crazed detective. Um, <laughs> this is David coming into this episode. Yeah. All right. Because um, I think, David, you feel like this has linked this last series of events with Genesis has linked a whole series of things in your mind and is helpful to explaining and you uh, for for you to explain um what happened everything the last two years in crypto everything i mean the question is like i'm coming to this episode and david's like yo i think the last two years solid 12 to 18 months at least have been a ginormous ponzi game dude the whole 2021 bull market was a gigantic ponzi scheme and Can you make now, the Charlie face? Yes. <laughs> the whole thing, dude. What's going on a thumbnail? The whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing was a Ponzi scheme, and now we're at the end. It's completely unraveled, and now we're at the final conclusion. And so I was going to make a show about, all right, is, is Genesis insolvent? What's going on with Grayscale? What's going on with Barry Silver and, and Digital Currency Group? Uh, and at, like answering that question... The, what's going hear? on in the last seven days has <laughs> been the final puzzle piece that fits over the broad category of 2022 contagion, contagion, contagion. Why was there so much contagion? We now know. We have all the answers. The good news. <laughs> I, I think we have all of the answers. We have all the answers. If you had any question coming to today's episode, <laughs> you'll leave with the answer to your question. But really, I think this is, uh, we're going to walk through it. We're going to end with the last domino. We, we hope is one of the last dominoes to fall, which is Genesis, um, a digital currency group. Mm -hmm. What's going on with kind of, it even ties into retail products like, like Gemini Earn. People still have funds uh, stuck on that. What's going to happen to all that? We end with that. But in order to explain that, we're going to take you through 20 2021, 2022, and the series of dominoes that led to this final domino falling. So this is going to be an interesting episode. And guys, I just got to like, I looked over some of David's notes real quick coming into this, but at some level, I'm along for the ride with you too. All right. Because <laughs> I think David's going to unpack his brain and I'm um, just here asking questions. All right. Let's, um, let's talk about the high level of the episode that we're about to get into, kind of the daisy chain of events. And I'm gonna bring up a tweet from Barry Silbert, who's kind of, I guess the first player in this story, yep. but also uh, one of the last players of this story. Why did you want us to look at this tweet? And this is from June 24th, 2021, a tweet from Barry Silbert, who of course, we'll introduce the actors in a little bit, but he is the uh, leader of Digital Currency Group, um, Genesis, um, uh, what else, David? I guess I'm gonna bring the up. GDBC mm -hmm. and the ETH, uh, ETH, uh, ETH trusts right. that people can buy in their retirement accounts. What is Barry saying here and why is this relevant to the story? Yeah, so this was Ju June 24th, 2021, which if you remember, was this first big crash in crypto after the, a meteoric rise of basically all crypto asset prices. Ether hit $4,300, Bitcoin hit like $60,000. Uh, and then in one or two days, we lost like 50 to 60% of the crypto market cap. 
Uh, and then as the dust settled, we the bull market actually resumed. Again, this was in the middle of 2021. And Barry Silbert tweets out, there is a daisy chain of borrowers and lenders in the crypto space, most well capitalized, but some are not. Lots of leverage still in the ecosystem, including in some non-obvious places. Important to understand counterparty risk and where the weak links are in the chain. Hmm. Now, this tweet was like the most was the indication of all things to come over the next it's foreshadowing 12 to 18 months in our shakespearean tragedy story this is exactly. a foreshadowing this is this is foreshadowing uh this was the tweet to pay attention to at this moment no one really wanted to no one really knew how to unpack these things because all of these were centralized lenders so it's a black box so we didn't have that information but this tweet became true in fantastic fashion and the irony ryan is that Barry Silbert tweeted it, and we that that daisy chain of borrowers and lenders has come full circle back Barry. to his own his own trading desk Genesis, which is part of his company, Digital Currency Group. Okay, the, the full circle nature of this story is absolutely insane. Back to Barry. This is where the story starts. This is where it's actually going to end when we get into it. I'm going to pull out a few phrases here. Daisy chain of borrowers and lenders. He says, most well-capitalized, some aren't, lots of leverage, he says, important to understand counterparty, part, uh, counterparty risk and where the weak links are in the chain. Uh, what do we have here, David? This is a diagram I think you put together for, yeah. this, uh, for this episode and, and maybe is um, kind of the different sections. All of these layers maybe re represent dominoes. Explain this for us. Okay, so the, I, I stayed up like late last night <laughs> because I was going down this rabbit hole. So I made this pyramid. <laughs> Brian, happy Thanksgiving, by this the way, was, this was the 2021 bull market. Okay. What was so like the 2017 bull market was determined by ICOs printing tokens out of out of thin air to fundraise and they would buy Ether and USEC and that and it was a bunch of printing tokens out of thin air. And that's what the ICO mania was. I regret to inform you, Ryan, that the 2021 bull market was the same damn thing. We had these yield farming, DeFi yield farming, pool twos. Remember pool twos with like 500% mm -hmm. APYs if you were like willing to take the risk of like other yield farmers to, to dump on you. So like mm -hmm. pool twos with incentivized APYs and farmers would play chicken after they, uh, after they, like everyone would want it to farm. And then, and that was like, you know, crazy 100 to 1000% APYs. That rested on top of the pool once uh, where it was lower risk. You weren't providing liquidity. You were just incentivized to stake your tokens, whether it's like, a, you know, whatever DeFi yield farm. You would just stake your tokens uh, and you get a yield. You didn't really have to have as much risk. Moderate 10 to 90% APYs. That was the top of the pyramid. That was where- DeFi summer. That was DeFi summer. And also like that. And then Sol uh, Solana, Avalanche, Phantom. That was their game as well after Ethereum took it over. Okay, hold on. Hold on. You're saying top of the pyramid. But mm -hmm. actually, the way you're describing it, I almost think that this pyramid should be flipped on its head. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the top should be kind mm -hmm. of the, like the weakest part. and But that's where it really starts, right? It's like uh, pool two, twos and pool ones, the DeFi summer is actually kind of like- the start of the pyramid and what the full 2021 bull market builds into. Is that right? Sure. It depends on your perspective. Uh, okay. What we are looking at here is a risk spectrum as well, where you, if you are at the top of the pyramid, you are on the highest end of the risk curve. Uh, you are the things with the most APYs, with the most risk, and then the risk actually gets lower as you go down, which is the why- The perceived risk gets lower? No, no, the real risk. Like okay. It's just like 
This is why people are concerned about Genesis and Digital Currency Group because they are the foundation of all yield. All that yield, all that crazy speculation, all fell down at the end of the day to Genesis. And that's why we are talking about Genesis today and why we feel, I feel confident that this is like the last big domino to Okay, so pool twos, pool twos and DeFi yield farms were supported by pool ones. Uh, pool ones, which were the basic yield farm, that's where Alameda and Three Rivers Capital got a lot of their money in the second half of the bull market. Hedge funds maxed out lines of credit from anyone that would allow them to borrow from them. This is what Alameda and Three Rivers Capital did, and this is where so much contagion came from. Because Three Rivers Capital and Alameda borrowed from as many different lending desks as possible. BlockFi, Voyager, Celsius. Uh, and, and then when Three Rivers Capital and Alameda went under, they took all the lending desks with them, except for Alameda and FTX found a way to print a bunch of FTT to support all the lending desks. But ultimately, all of that money, all the capital to BlockFi, Voyager, Celsius, where were they getting their yield? They were getting their yield from Genesis, the GBTC arbitrage, and ultimately the whole entire digitally, digital currency group system. And that, Ryan, was the 2021 bull market. All of these high, high-risk yield farms ultimately was supported by the largest player in the game, which was Genesis and also the arbitrage for the Grayscale Premium. So you're telling me everything that happened in 2021, all of the price appreciation mm -hmm. that we've now, by the way, walked back and reset, was just smoke and mirrors was almost like yes. a, a ponzi scheme of uh stacking risk and stacking like interest that wasn't really real yes and it was all in the whole reason why this whole thing worked was because we were able to print tokens out of thin air which is the way that every single crypto bull run has gone since its genesis so like you want to go to then click on that tweet you know, remember remember this tweet that that caused a bunch of like you know, uh uh like crypto twitter murmurings because this was the one that like richard hart responded to and richard hart like i i tweeted out okay three hours capital is insolvent alameda is liquidated ftx is insolvent if all these people are insolvent i asked then who made all the money richard hart comes in like Hello there, it was me. Well, it wasn't him, Ryan. Uh, the actual answer is the next tweet. The actual answer is this guy who uh, used this illustration of a neighborhood with 100 houses and has one sale for a million dollars. Therefore, the collective houses are worth $100 million. But then the remaining 99 houses only sell for uh, like 10% of that. So actually, like $91 million of equity is actually gone. This is what happens when all these e-liquid shitcoins, all the DeFi yield farming, all of the degeneracy high APY pool one and pool twos, when all of those tokens go down in price, the entire system gets wiped out because of all of the systemic risk that got built up by players like Three Rivers Capital and Alameda. And so that's what happened, Ryan. That's where the money went. We printed the, all these Bitcoins and the then money, it went to the zero. Money, the money was just not real. It was the, just the money was uh, not real. fabrication. It was just numbers on a page. And there, there may have been some people, by the way, that cashed out close to the top based on those valuations. Sure. Some, some people yeah. few people walked away with, yep. with some amount of, of money. But what you're saying but, is the price uh, of They appreciate. walked away with Bitcoin, Ether, USDC, yeah. blah, blah, Yeah. The real monies, like the hard monies. monies. Yes. Uh, and left everyone else kind of holding the bag, and that's yep. where we are. Yep. Um, so now here we are. Genesis has what's reported to be like a $1 billion oh, yeah. uh, hole. People are now worried about the solvency of, of Grayscale and Digital Currency Group Empire. We're going to talk about that. And uh, when we get back, David, I want you to walk us through this whole story, if you Start could. I think we just, we just saw the 
the preamble, if you will. Uh, and I think what we're going to go through is I show you domino by domino how these pieces were stacked and what caused to to um, what, what caused their fall and what's going to happen next. So, guys, stick with us. We'll be right back. But first, we want to tell you about the fantastic sponsors that made this episode possible. Was the 2021 bull market just a gigantic Ponzi scheme in crypto? That is the uh, the central question we're raising in today's episode. And David has brought some of the receipts. Uh, Going to take us through the timeline here. All the way back in January 2021, when this uh, Shakespearean tragedy started to first unfold, um, I think in order to set this story up, David, and, and do it justice, we should do a couple of things. Um, first, we should set the stage where we were in January 2021, um, the feeling of the market, uh, the prices, that sort of thing. And then we should talk about the key players as any good uh I guess tragedy does, we have to lay out the background and the actors and the players, the characters that are going to be in this uh, that are somewhat reoccurring as well. So let's talk about where we were. And I remember it actually coming out of December 2020. Um, ETH was low uh, in December 2020. We had a, a like show four that to was $700. In December. Four to $700. We, we had a show that was kind of like the bull case for ETH. And what was really interesting is um, DeFi had had its moment back the previous summer. This was a summer that came to be known as DeFi summer. This is summer of 2021, where people realized that DeFi tokens were real things. Previous to that, all tokens were kind of dead. There was Bitcoin, there was a little bit of ETH, but then all of the other tokens, nothing mattered. Uh, DeFi summer 2020 showed people that no tokens did matter and talk about yield farming, that sort of thing. But ETH was still kind of lingering in the 400s. Bitcoin had seen a moment. And there was this move of, of to say, um, all we need is Bitcoin and DeFi tokens, and there's no real use case for, for ETH. So ETH had not yet popped at the end of December 2020. Um, so take us back to that feeling as, as we start this story in December and uh, January 2021. What had the market done with DeFi? What was the price of Bitcoin? What was the price of ETH? Yeah, so at, at the time, DeFi summer, Compound really announced the governance token. And that was the new primitive that everyone was super stoked about. Uh, this is how we're going to decentralize ownership and control over these systems to as many people as possible. And that was the shiny new object that really incurred DeFi summer and the, the concept of yield farming to begin with. And like I said at the beginning, yield Yield farming, liquidity mining was this era's ICO. And, uh, and before the ICO era, there was the proof of work fork and fair launch phenomenon, which like almost zero tokens made it through. Uh, so like we had the 2013 bull market was the proof of work fork and fair launch. We just made a bunch of tokens. 2017 bull market was the ICO mania where we just made a bunch of tokens. The 2021 bull market, Ryan, was the DeFi yield summing era where we made a bunch of tokens this time with yield this was the thing yield was the thing that identified the 2021 bull market not just at the very high risk end of the spectrum but down all the way into how regular institutions got involved in crypto and why they got involved is because there was demand to borrow assets and this is the story of how everything got built up and how everything fell apart uh, so if we're injecting ourselves into this story in january of 2021 which is kind of when the start uh story starts 
Ether began January at about $900. It ended January at $1,700. Bitcoin, wow. Bitcoin started January around $25,000. It ended that January somewhere around thirty five dollars to $40,000. Uh, wow. And so it's on. The bull market on. is on. 2021, mm -hmm. uh, pe people felt like the bull market was fully on. And uh, they were also hungry, I feel mm -hmm. like. Maybe, maybe like we could start to inject terms like greedy. Sure. And they were certainly Frothy. hungry for more yield, right? Things were frothy, like, oh, let's do that 2020 uh, DeFi summer thing again. That felt great, let's do it all assets. over again. Yeah, uh, and this starts to inject, I, I think, this idea that we've seen in, in many cycles, David, is uh, the concept of a metaphor we call it the euthanasia roller coaster. Mm. This is a picture of the euthanasia roller coaster. And it's a, it's a, a theoretical construct, but would, the physics of it would actually work. And basically, you start the roller coaster, and by the end of it, after all of the loops, you're kind of dead. Yeah. Like it's just been a, a one way ride. Um, there's no life left in you. Uh, but each of these loops, like describe this in some more detail. And what's, how, where's the analogy fit? Because we've seen this in pre mm. um, previous cycles as well. Yeah. So again, proof of work for Confair launch. What happened? Uh, somebody, Charlie, uh, Charlie Lee, made Litecoin uh, by forking Bitcoin, and that created like a like a billion dollars in market cap. People saw that and they did that on repeat. They did that over again. And all another of a sudden, loop. Another, another loop. Another loop. Like, oh, that worked for Charlie with Litecoin. Let's make seventeen other forks, and then let's make seventeen forks of that fork. Eventually, it it created a mania, and then eventually people got fatigued. Uh, and people just got done, and so they left. They left the the bull market. Same thing with ICOs. What was the great big ICO that that triggered the 2015 uh, ICO mania? It was the 2015 Ethereum ICO, followed right. by the very successful 2016 Augur ICO. And all of a sudden, people realized that they could do ICOs to mint tokens, and that would generate a bunch of hype. And that's how you could do things. So it started off legit. It ended in tragedy. Uh, and so as the ICO mania went on, uh, ICOs got the loops got faster and faster and faster until people just got fatigued. These things were just way too scammy. Retail investors just lost all their money and no new inflows of money came into the system. And then we had a bear market. And this was, of course, DeFi summer. The first OG yield farm, the first, the first liquidity mining event was Compound, followed by every other DeFi app that had yet to issue a token, followed by copycats on Ethereum. Think about SushiSwap, which, I mean, allegedly was Sam Bankman-Fried. And then we had Avalanche, Solana, Phantom, all of these Ethereum, uh, Ethereum killers show up and then start doing yield farms on their chains. And eventually, people got fatigued, uh, people stopped making money, uh, and the energy ran out of the system. Um, but this is, this is the pattern of every single bull market so far. The, f the first few loops in the euthanasia roller coaster are fun, and the last yes. uh, couple actually kill you. Yep, that's and right. That's how all bull cycles end, including this one. So we're going to talk about some of those loops. But um, as we get into this, the other thing to introduce is, I think, the players here, mm -hmm. the reoccurring actors that are important. Uh, I want to talk about a few of them. First is the house of Barry Silbert. Okay, this is like the Montagues and the Capulets, right? In their Shakespearean tragedy, the house of Barry Silbert. So um, Barry has been a crypto OG from the very beginning of crypto. I don't know, he might be have been in crypto as long as like Eric Voorhees and some people like this, uh, early Bitcoin holder for sure. Um, but he decided to go the institutional route behind things. So he formed this company called Digital Currency Group. There's a group within that called Genesis, which maybe you can explain some uh, details. 
also Grayscale, which is a trust type product. Maybe you can explain that to us. And there are some other um, uh, products he owned, including media. So like Coindesk is actually owned by Digital Currency Group. So t- talk about the House of Silbert. Mm-hmm. And who, who is Grayscale and who is Genesis? So Grayscale is this trust that what allowed people to have Bitcoin exposure on the traditional stock market. Uh, if you didn't want to go and set up uh, an, an exchange that maybe you didn't trust, maybe Coin Coinbase is too sketchy for you because you are an institutional investor, you could just buy access, buy exposure to Bitcoin via the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. The thing is, it doesn't trade one for one. Uh, and so the GBTC share on the, on the traditional stock markets are... Uh, subject to market forces in the same way all assets are, even though that they are backed by Bitcoin, they do not represent a one-to-one redeemable share for Bitcoin. Why not? Because we weren't, we aren't able to have a Bitcoin ETF. That an ETF would have solved this problem, but we don't have one of those, so we have to have the next best thing, which is a grayscale trust. Um, there's the BTC trust, there's the Ether trust, uh, there's a few other trusts, uh, but the, the Bitcoin and Ether are are the very big ones. So that's grayscale. That is owned and operated by Digital Currency Group, which is where Barry Silbert started. Uh, also, part of Digital Currency Group is Genesis. And Genesis is crypto's only like full-service prime brokerage. What is a brokerage? Uh, it's a custodian. It's an OTC desk. It's a it's a lending desk. Uh, it's basically every all financial services all under one roof. It's it's like like a Fidelity account or an mm-hmm. E Trade account or a Charles Schwab account, except for big institutions, not for for everyday users, not for mom and pops, not for retail, but for big institutions. It performs all of those services. Yes, correct. Uh, and so these are the two big players. The CoinDesk is also related here because they were actually the ones that published that Alameda report, um, but not not really a, a key player here. But that's the house of Barry Silbert. That's the house of Digital Currency Group. Ryan, this story starts there. It also ends there because that is where the contagion has finally come home to roost, back to where this whole thing began. But we'll we'll get into how... It began in a second because how it began was some players in this game. The next house we're going to talk about are the house of the hedge funds. Three Arrows Capital, Alameda, both came into fame in 2019, 2020. Uh, and these are the people that spread out all of the contagion. They are the things that connect everything because of how this bull market progressed. Uh, they ultimately borrowed from whoever they could get their hands on money, that wherever they could get their money from, they would borrow and borrow and borrow. And they are the middlemen of all the contagion. Uh, and so we'll get to that story as well. There's also, of course, the house of Do Kwan and Terra Luna, which probably started the casket. It was probably the first domino to fall. There's the ETH killers. Uh, I think you remember the acronym Soluna AVAX, Solunavax, if you remember that. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, there's the house of Sam Bankman-Fried, also Alameda, FTX, and all of the Sam coins, FTT, SRM, Solana. And also, Ryan, the last player in this game, is the SEC and Gary Gensler, or what they chose to not do rather than do. So these the are all the players. Of, the house of the regulators. These house are the, the regulators. cops. On, the cops on the beat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we've got our players. We've got our background. People hungry for yield, uh, traveling on that euthanasia uh, roller coaster. Uh, take us to um, Domino One. What right now? I think what we're going to do is we're going to lay out the, the major dominoes that haven't fallen yet, but that mm-hmm. are being stacked in a Dem- row. Yep. Yep, and they're being set up right now. So the first domino is in back to December 31st, basically January 2021, 20, uh, um, Three Arrows Capital and the GDBC Premium. Let's talk about this. And I think it begins with uh, the SEC, our cop on the beat. 
Um, we're looking at an SEC filing for the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust for this product called GDBC. Why are we looking at this? Why does our story start here? So this is actually a filing by Three Arrows Capital at the start of 2021. And if you scroll down, you'll see that Three Arrows Capital is declaring that they have uh, become an owner of 6.1% of the total GBTC supply, as in they own 6.1% of the trust. How did they get 6.1% of the GBTC trust? They bought it, right? They, they put up some money, <laughs> okay, but not with Grayscale. Uh, they, put, they had some money. They had investors. Three Arrows Capital got investors somewhere. They probably put up some of their own money. Uh, and what did they do? They gave, their, they gave that money to Genesis as collateral to borrow Bitcoins because they could take those Bitcoins because at this moment in time, Ryan, the GBTC, like I said, it doesn't trade one-to-one. -one. It it's not equivalent to one Bitcoin. It is a, at a premium or at a discount to Bitcoin based off of the net present value of all the assets in the trust. Uh, and so for a long time, GBTC traded at a significant premium to actual Bitcoin. And so what, you, what could you do? You could take one Bitcoin, you could deposit it into the trust. Six months later, you could receive and redeem a GBTC share, which had a premium associated with it versus the Bitcoin that you deposited. And then you could sell that premium and pocket that arbitrage. Okay, Make so, sense this, so is far? An, this is an arbitrage opportunity yes. for three years capital. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a riskless arbitrage opportunity, yes. right? And With so, six months like, of time, but yes. The context of this is three years capital just made a boatload of money right. in DeFi summer and all of the yield products and uh, degening away over there. And now they're like, where's our next hit gonna come yes. from? And they're seeing this big juicy ARB opportunity mm -hmm. in between the spot price of Bitcoin and GB, uh, GBTC. And by the way, they're the only ones that can kind of access this. And when I say the only ones, I mean, large institutions like Three Arrows Capital are the only ones yes. because retail investors cannot buy this product right. from groups like uh, Grayscale, o OTC, over the counter, that is. They cannot, they uh, cannot produce this arbitrage. They cannot produce this They can this only arbitrage. buy GBTC secondary. on the secondary market, right? Got they it, cannot mint it. new GBTCs. Okay, so Suzu, Kyle Davies are like uh, licking their lips. Here's another arbitrage opportunity. That's what our fund is set up to do right. is make money through our capital. It goes in and buys 6%. Right. Of this but it's not it's not like they're coming in like ape into six point one percent. What do they do? They take they take whatever winnings they got throughout twenty 2020 twenty and twenty nineteen. Yes. And I mean, you know, starting at February twenty twenty after the COVID crash, it was up only from there. So if you For were sure. in at twenty twenty February twenty twenty, you're you're making money. Especially DeFi summer was probably the most lucrative time in the last like three years. Okay. And so three hours capital takes all their money and they gives it not again not to grayscale but to genesis they put up their wow. capital cap, uh, capital in genesis as collateral and they buy as many bitcoins as I borrow as many bitcoins as possible and they take it and they give it back to grayscale to produce GBTC. so they're buying this on margin they are borrowing bitcoins on margin from genesis however <laughs> the thing that is crazy is that uh, Grayscale and Genesis, again, are both under Digital Currency Group. Uh, and so, hang on, let me open up a document to make sure I get this right. Uh, uh, since they are both owned by Digital Currency Group, there's this unique position that Genesis has because Genesis is like the only... Genesis is the only authorized participant, aka in crypto native speak, the only party that can mint and burn shares of GBTC. So when Three Arrows Capital borrows 
Bitcoin from Genesis. They were actually giving it straight back around to Genesis because Genesis is the one that's minting GBTC in the first place. And so it's this very incestuous relationship between huh. Genesis and Grayscale that is the linchpin of this whole thing and why there's so much contagion. Because what Genesis, what uh, yeah, Genesis would do is they would just like, hey, Grayscale, come put up capital, and then and then have this free arbitrage opportunity. And why why is uh, Genesis incentivized for this? Well, when you can take and Genesis is is like giving out people for depositing their bitcoins, they're giving them a yield, Gemini Earn, for example. If you come and deposit your bitcoin in Gemini Earn, Gemini gives it to. That's how it flows down to retail. That's how, how it flows retail down to gets retail, right? To these yields. So retail gives their bitcoins to Gemini Earn. Uh, Gemini Earn pays retail a yield. They Gemini gives that bitcoin to Genesis. Uh, Genesis pays Gemini an Earn. Gemini takes a percentage, passes that on to retail. Genesis allows Three Arrows Capital to take that Bitcoin and then convert it into GBTC through uh, their sister subsidiary company, Grayscale. And the thing mm -hmm. is, when that happens, Grayscale takes 2.5% yearly fees of all assets under management. And so there is this huge question as, what are the incentives of Genesis? Why does Genesis, uh, we think about this, like as a system, part of this overall system, it's Digital Currency Group. Digital Currency Group makes more money the more assets are under Grayscale's management. So if sure. Genesis can get all of the Bitcoins into Grayscale, that it's means a revenue that engine it's for, a revenue engine, yeah. right? And so all they have to do, all Genesis has to do is create this arbitrage opportunity that allows people like Three Arrows Capital to come in and arbitrage. Okay. And so they do. And so Three Arrows Capital milked the absolute F out of this premium. And so at some point uh, in the early 2021, that premium, which is what we're looking at here, that us all premium. And you can like all of that premium it's on the, the left half opportunity, is yeah. the arbitrage opportunity. At some point in the very early 2021, it gets milked and the premium goes to a discount. This is because everyone's doing the same trade, basically. Everyone's, everyone's doing the same. This. Well, Three Arrows Capital is like leading this trade, but everyone yeah. starts to follow them because of how incredibly lucrative and profitable it was. Okay, and so it's it. actually a big problem when the premium goes to a discount because <laughs> this was, Ryan, the original yield farm. The GBTC premium arbitrage opportunity was Three Arrows Capital yield farming as much possible out of this premium. Who And who is buying that on the other side? It's any retail investor or anyone who's buying GBTC on the other side of the trade. Uh, and so that is who Three Arrows Capital is doing milking. it. Retail is doing this because like... Um their money is generally it's stuck inside a retirement account, for right. instance, or some sort of locked institution that doesn't have access to, to spot. Um, mm. This is not a real ETF type product. It's just a trust type product. So they kind of have to buy if yep. they, if they uh, want to buy here. What, um, what are we looking at here, David? What is this chart? Yeah, so this is uh, well, this is the the Barry Silver that we talked uh, tweet that we talked about earlier. This is when after this week we go from January to May and we have that first crash, uh, mm. and Barry Silver starts to see. Why, why is Barry Silbert the one that has all this information about this daisy chain of borrowers? Because he created it. Digital Currency Group incentivized the creation of this daisy chain. That's why Barry Silbert can see it. And so when uh, going back to like the discount versus premium on the GPTC, uh, this was the first domino to fall. 
but it actually didn't cause too many problems in that moment where all of the GBTC that Three Arrows Capital and others that held as collateral under Genesis or BlockFi or whoever, when that turned into a discount, that was bad because they start to become underwater. But at the same time, Bitcoin is up only, Ether is up only, like the part of this part of the market is like up only. And well, so this is the second part of this uh, this whole like setup. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. So that's the first domino, but like mm -hmm. Three Arrows Capital, um, they're feeling good right now, mm -hmm. right? And so what do they do? This is the second domino um, to get to get put up there, which is Three Arrows Capital, they're taking their winnings mm -hmm. and they're actually deploying it right. into crypto. And some of maybe what we might call at this point in the rotator's rotation, which mm -hmm. is what Three Arrows Capital are, they just rotate in and out of things. Um, the blue chip assets like yes. ETH and Bitcoin. So what are we looking at here, this tweet? Yeah, so domino number two is Three Arrows Capital went, takes their winnings from this and they go long on, on Ether and Bitcoin. Uh, and then this tweet in particularly fast forward to, to November, where we actually skip into domino number three, where after November 2021, yeah, November 2021, where uh, they, they take their Bitcoin and Ether winnings and they start to go even further out on the risk curve. And so they the, the 2020 for them was milking the GBTC premium. That mm -hmm. premium turns into a discount in February of 2020. One. So 2020, they were milking the GBTC premium. 2021, that premium turns into a discount. Uh, and they, but they've made enough money to go long on Ether and Bitcoin. And that was the first half of the year. That was the first half of 2021. Uh, but then they start to go out on the risk curve. Uh, and so this next tweet is uh, Three Arrows Capital leading a $230 million investment into Avalanche tokens. And so that happened on September 16th, 2021. I think that's the next link, Ryan, if you want to click that one. Yeah. So this is, yep, Polychain, Three Arrows Capital, lead $230 million investment into Avalanche. Importantly, Ryan, locked AVAX tokens, illiquid AVAX tokens. Uh, the, next two, uh, the next two tweets here says Suzu being bullish on Solunavax. Uh, and this was a, a, a tweet, uh, like hashtag that got really, really popular. Uh, and it's because they were going out on the risk curve. They, they were done with Ethereum and they were going on to the Ethereum killers. Uh, the, this next tweet is Kyle Davis, Davies being bullish on Luna. Uh, when was this next tweet? Um, Want to click on the next tweet? Uh, yeah, this is from March yeah. 20, March 28 at the beginning of 2022. Right. And so three errors capital went out on the risk curve. They borrowed a bunch of money from Genesis. They won with ether and Bitcoin. They started to go out on the risk curve with Soluna AVAX. Right. Remember all this. Remember this phase in the bull market? Yeah. Are you guys seeing that euthanasia roller coaster of the mm -hmm. circles getting small? Like we just went through the, the, so, um, what's happening is throws capital and you know, other degen hedge funds like them are doing similar kind of trades, but they mm -hmm. just made a whole bunch of money on DeFi summer. They're coming in right now. They're coming back and they're arbitra uh, using an arbitrage opportunity in GBTC, right? They're making money at the beginning of uh, 2021 in that way. And then, and they're going margin long, by the way. And then they're pouring that into blue chips like Bitcoin and ETH, right? And then that's not enough. They've kind of milked that. And then they rotate down the risk curve or up the risk curve, I, I suppose we might say, into the Saluna AVAX communities. And then by the time we get to uh, this tweet from Kyle Davies in March of uh, 28th, 2022, all of the previous things have not been enough. So now you can see mm. they're getting ready to rotate into Luna. And you can just, it's so transparent because what they are doing as DJ, Gen hedge fund managers, of course, is they want to um, 
you know, what the saying is, Phil, then chill. Mm -hmm. So anytime you see a Kyle Davies or a, a Suzu tweeting something like this, Kyle Davies goes, Grandpa, what would the world look like when Luna was less than three digits? It's less than three digits now, Kyle. Um, definitely a lot less. <laughs> and he's tweeting that because he's hyping up a fill that they had mm -hmm. previously made. And he's hyping up the Luna rotation that they're in. But also remember, Ryan, their foundation is underwater. Their GPDC collateral, which is their collateral in Genesis, is below when they bought it for. They're not insolvent. Wow, that's right. But so this that's whole time, GPDC is supporting their loans and that they don't want to pay back because they'll take the loss on it. Yeah. So they got the one, they got they got the dub on Bitcoin and Ether, and then they got the dub on Sol uh, uh, Solana. Well, actually, they missed Solana, a Ava Avalanche, and Luna, but they need to go out on the risk curve because they don't want to sell their GPDC because it's underwater. Yeah. Well, so far they're getting the wins, right? They're so, so far, far they're, they're getting, getting their, the they have one this big is... loss because they didn't sell their GBDC, but they're still stacking wins. Okay. And then take us to, so this tweet is March 28th of 2022. And guys, I just want you to remember that time, time frame we were in. It was basically like alternative layer ones were kind of kings and boss. Uh, you know, Luna was kind of the, the next Ethereum killer and people like Kyle Davies and, and Suzu and Three Arrows Capital were trader gods. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everybody else was wrong. All the holders were wrong. The Bitcoiners were wrong. The Ethereum people were wrong. And these were trader gods where they're like top of their game, like pristine reputation yep. of the last couple of years of making money every single cycle. That's where we left things in March, uh, 2022. But David, we've got these three dominoes that I think we've, we've kind of stacked up. Uh, and then something happens with, um, old Jerome Powell. Mm -hmm. around this time right uh, tell us about the macro story because if we're looking for an outside actor the one that actually pushes these dominoes over and starts to cause the cascade that we now see up to november 2022 you have to like i think jerome powell was the finger behind this initial push of the domino uh what are we looking at here what's right, this story? so this is in february inflation surges 7.5 percent on an annual basis up highest since 1982. And so not long after that, the Federal Reserve starts hiking interest rates. You remember that that uh, episode we did with Macro Elf, Brian, yes. where uh, interest rates and bond market volatility are at the bottom of the pyramid? Well, in the bottom of the crypto pyramid, it's all about low rates because this bull market was a bull market on yields. We were printing free money because risk was free and these yields were like there were zero yield in the normal markets because that's because the interest rates were set to zero. But as soon as the Federal Reserve gets into the game of in jacking up interest rates, that shifts the whole entire crypto pyramid because this was a bull market on rates, on yields. And when the Federal Reserve increases interest rates, it pulls down yields from the whole rest of the stack. This is uh, what starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, this is the federal funds rate, a, uh, a historical chart. And uh, we can see, right? Yeah. Um, this is what we're starting to see in April 18th. So the federal funds rate, April 18th, was about 0.33%. And of course, now we are, here we are today, uh, about 4%, one of the fastest, uh, steepest inclines in history on that rate. So the risk on days are over for crypto and for the cost of capital. And we are now moving to a risk off regime. Guys, this is the first part of the story. This is the part of the story where Powell 
tips over the first domino mm -hmm. and the rest of them start to collapse. We're going to tell the rest of that story when we come back. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. And of course, Terra is the first domino to fall. An unbacked algorithmic stablecoin. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's the most risky thing. Uh, a stablecoin with nothing behind it. Uh, but first, before it falls, they have to prop up their reserves, right? And so this is uh, coming in, when was this? April 7th. Terra buys $200 million of AVAX tokens to bolster their reserves beyond Bitcoin. An interesting choice because of how illiquid and, and non-collateral-like AVAX was. Um, on May 5th, the Luna Foundation Guard, if you guys remember that, buys $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. $500 million of that came from Three Arrows Capital, and it would be later revealed, Ryan, that 200 million of that purchase that got uh, sent from Luna to Thero's Capital, 200 million of that was UST. UST, of course, wow. went to zero. Uh, and so. So that, Genesis bought that? Uh, Thero's Capital. Thero's Capital, Capital so, bought so that. Genesis, Genesis did a th an OTC swap, uh, and they also did an OTC swap with Thero's Capital. Thero's Capital, out of the $500 million of Bitcoin that Thero's Capital sold to the Luna Guard Foundation, Thero's Capital agreed to take $200 million as UST for compensation for that. Now, remember now look at this. The OTC swap includes 1 billion UST for 1 billion worth of Bitcoin. Imagine uh, trading UST, which is on its way towards zero. Just people don't know it yet. Um, yep. For a billion worth of real assets, which is right. Bitcoin. Yep. Uh, and then it, it actually, and so people, this was the event that actually triggered the collapse of UST, where UST liquidity was sold off for Bitcoin. And so there was not much to prop up. There was not much liquidity left to prop up UST. Mm. And so this happened on May 5th. May 5th, Luna Foundation Guard buys $1.5 billion of Bitcoin. May 13th, Luna UST collapses. So just eight days later. Uh, and this was also, Ryan, the beginning of the end for FTX. Uh, so if you want to go, go to the next link, uh, this is where the contagion really starts to hit. And this was a, this is an article out of Decrypt uh, that was, had a ton of analysis from Nansen. And Nansen has been going on chain trying to track all the money that happened as a result of this. And so it, in $4 billion, this is when $4 billion in FTT token tracked from Alameda to FTX aligns with the report of FTX loans to Alameda using customers' funds. Uh, and so this is where the House of Sam enters the story and the House of Alameda and the second hedge fund to trigger a bunch of contagion enters the game. Okay, so where are we in the story? So we've got um, the fourth domino, which is the collapse of Terra. Now that has tipped over. Again, Powell is kind of the finger at the one end of the dominoes. That that tips over. And at, by the, this point in the story, has Three Arrows Capital gone under yet? Uh, they are about to. I'm so happy they, you asked. <laughs> they are about to. Is that what's next? Yeah. So I would say like domino number five, if we want to add on dominoes, Ether and Bitcoin are about 50% off of their highs in this present moment, right? Okay. Uh, the federal, this is when you and I are doing a bunch of macro shows. We're understanding interest rates. We're understanding inflation. Everyone's kind of learning about interest rates for the first time. Uh, Ether peaked out at $4,800. Bitcoin peaked out at $69,000. And by this moment, Right at the end of that red square, Ryan, which goes from about middle of November to the start of June, was uh, all of that. Right, this was pre-Terra Luna collapse, uh, mm. and so pre-Terra Luna collapse, Bitcoin and Ether are fifty percent 
off of their, excuse, excuse me, about 60% off of their highs. And that is the collateral base for Three Arrows Capital, for Alameda. But not only that, because Solunavax, which I think is at the next link. No, no, it's not. It's just like, this is Suzu just talking about the super cycle, right? So Luna AVAX, which was the other collateral base for three hours capital is off 80% off the ties. No way. In, in this moment before the, before the Terra Luna co uh, collapse happens. So at this moment, before, uh, three hours capital is in an extremely tough spot. So if you're in a tough spot, Ryan, as a hedge fund with a bunch of uh, illiquid collateral that you can't sell, what do you do? Do you narrative call it spin, quits? my friend? Narrative spin, and you, you know, also know. borrow from any lender that will give you money. You <laughs> also forge documents and defraud investors to give you more capital, so that you don't have to sell anything. Because Suzu and Kyle Davies were so goddamn delusional that they were doing the whole super cycle thing that the entire industry fell for. So they were pounding their super cycle chess. Well, they had what is the super cycle for people who don't know? And the super cycle, Ryan, was the cycle of crypto that we get two cycles instead of just one. Uh, and so while it might have felt like we were off on at the end of one cycle, uh, we were actually going to go on and begin a second bull cycle. That was the narrative that Three Hours Capital led. And they basically, needed that yeah. narrative to be true because they were locked up in a liquid shit coins. Basically, the way I remember it is, um, you know, we, we've always had boom and bust cycles in crypto like forever right and so um the narrative around the super cycle was like those days are over now we're right. mainstream right. now we have like suits we have like ftx we have wall street <laughs> here and like and so that's not going to happen anymore where we've matured and so we'll, we'll get blips down but gone are the days where you see a down 83 percent bitcoin like that right. was last cycle stuff gone are the days where you have uh ether off 90 percent all-time highs right this is kind of a new era and uh, boy, were they wrong. They got a lot of people on that, though. Yep. Um, you know, w would you count yourself among one of the people that was kind of seduced by the super <laughs> yeah, cycle? Yeah, dude, it uh, was idea? intoxicating. The super cycle <laughs> idea was super intoxicating. It's like, oh, yeah, like the one cycle to, to rule them all. Like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Sounds um, nice. Right. Uh, and, but, and so, like, that turned out to, like, start to become threatened, right? And this is where Three Arrows Capital started to increase the level of contagion that they had. They borrowed from anyone that would ever give them money, like the big lending desks like BlockFi and Genesis, down to like the C tier lending desks that would give them any amount of money, down to the money that they stole from people that traded on their accounts, right? So this is one of the, rather than becoming humble and selling for a loss, they doubled down, they borrowed as much money as possible and they increased the amount of contagion in the system. And that was just as a result of the Terra Luna collapse, which was a big part of their position. Uh, but that was just the start of it. Um, yeah, let's see, where are we at? Where are we at here? Okay, so this was in June 1st. Interestingly, June 1st, well, the, well, the whole entire industry is on fire. FTX passes Coinbase in market share, while the next day Gemini lays off 10% of its staff to prep for winter. So FTX somehow doing great, yet... Coinbase uh, yet starts to beat Coinbase in market share. And while in, in contrast, Gemini is starting to laying off people. And this is when you and I, when we were reporting on the Thursday weekly or the Friday weekly roll up, you're like, yeah, FTX is coming to save the day. FTX is just like this huge story of just well, like it success. Like it was, it basically seemed like, um, okay. So at this point in the story, we were at what, like June or so June of 2022. 
and there was a uh, more there was contagion right obviously from the terra luna collapse and um theorist capital went completely down a whole bunch of other funds mm-hmm. were completely wiped by this whole mess and what it looked like is the 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 exchanges and the funds left standing were the ones that were responsible yeah. with their funds yeah. uh they were the ones that um made it through the storm and came out stronger and alameda was among those mm-hmm. look at ftx is like surging on the back of this uh, relative to Coinbase, whereas Gemini is like laying off 10% of its staff. So it looks like there's a changing of the guards here of the, the move move fast kind of exchanges and um, like uh, funds are the ones that have made it out. But that was all a facade as we later learned. But what's this tweet from Grayscale here? Yeah, so we're gonna take a quick rabbit hole here because in this moment, uh, Grayscale had previously, uh, or Grayscale, yes, they uh, hired this guy, Donald B. Verrilli, who's a former solicitor general of the United States as an illegal counsel. Uh, and they put a thread together as to why. And basically, if you just want to skip forward to the Jake Jake Travinsky tweet, Jake is, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I guess I didn't put that I don't know if there. I have that. Uh, basically, uh, I'll just read it out because I have it in front of me. Uh, somebody asks, hey, Jake, just to check my reasoning on this, uh, they are hiring this individual because they want to uh, sue the SEC when in a few days the grayscale request to turn the GBTC trust into an ETF well, they, the SEC has to give an answer in like two or three days. Uh, and Grayscale is predicting that the SEC is going to give them a no. So they are hiring this legal counsel to take them to the Supreme Court. And Jake Stravinsky is like, yeah, this is exactly what they're doing. Okay, but but so Grayscale wants to convert their GDBC product to a real ETF, right? Yes. It's like kind of Pinocchio wants mm-hmm. to become a real boy. Yep. And this trust product is not a real ETF. And they want to convert it to a real ETF. By the way, that would be great, wouldn't it? Because right. this would be a more uh, capital efficient, uh, retail friendly product. And their retail is already buying these trust products, which are trading off of like NAV are not like necessarily, um, uh, you know, it, you're getting ripped off. Uh, potentially, if you're buying this product, you don't know how it's just trading off the, the spot market price of Bitcoin and ETH. Mm-hmm. And so they want to convert this. So the entire industry is cheering them on. Is there some other ulterior motive? towards uh, converting this? Or do you think this is a, a real sort of pure motive from, from Grayscale saying just like, let's make this thing an ETF? What would that solve uh, for the kind of contagion story here? The timing of this is really interesting because in this present moment, GBTC is the collateral for Three Arrows Capital and so many others in this space, smaller people that you know we don't say their names because they're just not as big as Three Arrows Capital. But GBTC is the collateral that is backstopping a lot of these loans. Also, the loans coming out of Genesis, a big player here. In this moment, in where when is this? June seventh of twenty twenty two, the discount on GBTC is negative thirty percent. As in, there is thirty percent of Bitcoin collateral that is not being accounted for because it's not an ETF. As in, anyone that is using GBTC as collateral is only accessing. 70% of the total potential collateral that is there in Bitcoin, but they aren't able to tap into all of that collateral because of the discount on the GBTC trust because it's not an ETF. And so, so that that's a lot of problem if you're using um, a G, GBTC as your margin. Mm-hmm as your collateral uh, yep. source for a loan that you take against it. It's a huge problem, right? I mean, like you cannot have the GBTC price go down especially when it's when Bitcoin is going down, but the GBDC token price is going down even more than that, right? 
so like in January when Bitcoin was like sixty nine thousand uh, dollars, then back into moving forward into July, it was something like twenty five thousand dollars. That's bad. But the GBTC price went from above thirty to negative thirty percent. So it had a an additional negative sixty percent move versus Bitcoin. And so Grayscale is preparing to sue the SEC to get the Grayscale GBT trust to turn into an ETF and fix this discount that is sucking up so much capital out of the industry. Anyways, we'll come back to that later. First, we have to get to this first round of contagion. So a bunch of dominoes have started to fall. The BlockFi valuation goes from four or $5 billion down to just, what is it? $1 billion in their attempted raise in June 7th. That $1 billion valuation does not last. Uh, and let's see, what's the next one? And then as a result of this, as there's, and this is the middle of Three Arrows Capital, has, uh, it, this is the t title out of Coindesk, Three Arrows Capital faces possible insolvency after unforeseen liquidations, right? Uh, and so this is Terra Luna going to zero. This is their Ether and Bitcoin like losing 60%. They have locked Avalanche tokens. Uh, if they were in Phantom, that thing's at zero. Uh, and so they don't have any money left. Uh, and so this is they are getting liquidated because they borrowed all this money to backstop uh, any of their loans so they couldn't have to sell. Uh, but then the final the final nail in the coffin, which is Terra Luna collapses, and they start to get liquidated. Uh, BlockFi, BlockFi yeah. liquidated them as mm -hmm. well. One of the others that liquidated them. Um, yeah, so uh, let's say lingering on that for a moment, it's actually unknown yeah. how big of a hole Three Arrows Capital left in BlockFi. Um, but this is definitely when the BlockFi troubles start. So Three Arrows Capital... It's liquidated by BlockFi at the same time BlockFi becomes significantly insolvent. Well, it's, it's the story of this, like at the at the far end, at the at the tail of this human centipede of like greed and, and yield is like retail. Yeah. Um, which is like if you if you wonder where not in all accounts, but like, say, for example, BlockFi, how is it generating the yield on ETH and, and, and BTC? It's this whole process of arbitrage between GDBC and Bitcoin and large funds and Genesis, they're all kind of tied up in this. And retail is kind of like just downstream of these yield. They just get a smaller cut than the big guys, right? So Three Arrows Capital is making a lot of money on this arbitrage. And this shows up in like maybe a three to 4% yield in BlockFi at the other side of this. But when that opportunity goes away, the yield goes away too. And uh, so does some of the margin that has been kind of um, protected against this. The same and story with Voyager. Before you move on, Ryan, in that, in that uh, article right there, there's a line here that says, a substantial amount of the Bitcoin that customers deposited at BlockFi was directed to GBTC or Three Arrows Capital. Mm -hmm. As a result, a large number of BlockFi's Bitcoins are illiquid. So where was, in addition for Three Arrows Capital was paying BlockFi, to borrow from them. BlockFi was also taking customer funds and working the GBTC premium just like everyone else. But mm. they could, once the uh, net asset value went negative, they couldn't redeem that because it was underwater. So not only Thrios Capital needed this, the uh, trust to turn into an ETF, BlockFi also needed that too. They were doing the same thing that Thrios Capital was. Uh, so here's a Voyager. Of course, we all remember Voyager gave Ethereum's capital an uncollateralized $660 million loan. Uh, so that's not bad. So that went to zero. Uh, but then 
Alameda comes in with $200 million in cash and a USDC revolver, uh, with $200 million in USDC as a line of credit, along with 15,000 BTC intended to help Voyager meet customer needs during this liquidity you know, Good crunch. old Alameda. Thank Sam's you, Alameda, saving the day. Well, and that's why at the, this point in the cycle, you were like, well, if Alameda's bailing companies out, like they must be doing okay. Right. They must have cash while everyone else is like underwater. Yep. Yep. So that seemed to be bullish for uh, Sam's empire yep. and the, the house of uh, Sam coin here. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the, you know, the first of two. Uh, FTX also backstops BlockFi to keep them solvent. So BlockFi valuation drops down to as low as $25 million after being as high as $5 billion just a year prior. And FTX gives BlockFi a $4 million line of credit to keep customers liquid. Uh, and uh, the quote from this article, FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has been seen as the lender of last resort in the space. In addition to BlockFi, Sam Bankman-Fried's company Alameda Research also provided a $5 million loan to Voyager. So this is where SPF really like rose and saved the day. Like everyone else was insolvent. FTX seemed to be the one solvent one in the room, and he just bought up and backstopped the entire industry. Turns out that that was not the case. Turns out <laughs> that he was not the lender of last resort. That turned out to be Genesis, which we'll get there. This is a, uh, the Zach Prince's thread announcing, very happily announcing that he was going to be able to restore customer deposits uh, thanks to FTX. It was really a lifeline at that time. It was a lifeline. It would have gone under without it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the dominoes uh, continue to follow Three Arrows Capital files for bankruptcy in the British Virgin Isles. This was announced on July 1st. On July 18th, Genesis was uh, discovered to have lent $2.36 billion to Thrower's Capital using an, only an 80% collateral margin requirement. Uh, and so uh, 20% of $2.4 billion, yeah. uh, that, that hurts. Uh, and they, of course, they are seeking repayment of the outstanding debt through arbitration in New York. A spokesperson told for DCG told The Block that both DCG and Genesis balance sheets remain strong with no remaining exposure to three hours capital. Genesis continues to be well capitalized and its operations are business as usual. That might have been true. Um, here's Michael Morrow, which I, I found this tweet while I was staying up super Who's late. Who's this guy? Uh, he is at DCG, uh, former CEO of Genesis Trading. Okay. Uh, I found this tweet, tweet which says, since then, we worked with DCG to find the optimal strategy to further isolate the risk. DCG has assumed certain liabilities of Genesis related to this counterparty, that's Thrower's Capital, to ensure we have the capital to operate and scale our business for the long term. Basically, DCG bailed out Genesis. Uh, and that's where one of the big holes in Genesis comes to be, or DCG as a whole. You know, so much was going on in July that uh, I don't think I really noticed this so much, right? right? We were all like, okay, we didn't know Terra what it means. Blew up, Thera's capital blew up. Um, you know, our is retail going to be okay? Celsius, we missed Celsius, but of course mm -hmm. they were long gone. Yeah, by Celsius. July. I, I actually went through this agenda and deleted all the Celsius mentions because they just went under under their own steam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they actually didn't have any contagion. You can't even blame anybody like, on the institute. It was just Alex Mashinsky was like DJ gambling with idiot. company funds. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, okay. Um, and then what's this? And uh, this, is, this is the summary, right? July 22nd, Suzu says that Terra and GBDC led to three arrows capital insolvency. This uh, is like their retrospective yep. interview, right? It's mm -hmm. like, why did things go wrong? And they point to what? GDBC trades? Yeah. GBTC and Terra. Terra Luna as the big ones. But of course... They never sold. They never took profits. They were up only. It was a super cycle. Uh, and yeah, they just got, okay. they Icarus too hard. 
So I think we're a domino five now that has fallen. All right. And this is where, um, so things are like starting to like settle out. The dust is starting to settle and we're like, was that the bottom? Like, are we just crab market? It felt really bottomy. It felt very bottomy. Wait, was it in July or was it later in August? It was the end of July when things started to calm down and we didn't really make new lows. Prices were low. Like ETH price was down to like new lows. Did it spike down to 800? 850 was the low, but that was, that was in, that was in like July or June or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we are. Okay. So now Domino six, Mm -hmm. enter FTX the FTX fraud, which we have now uncovered, which people didn't know about at the time. Nobody knew about this, but there are some, um, I guess, records, some Mm -hmm. things on the blockchain because, of course, all of your transactions, all of your fraud is um, when you put it on chain, it's always on chain. Uh, This is uh, from Nansen. I think you have some like maybe stats yep. to read out about uh, FTX and some of the, the things that, I do. that they've, they were tracking retrospectively. This is a report they put out uh, last very, week, it very sounds recently. like. Yes. Okay, yeah. tell me about this. Okay, so three big transactions. Uh, on the 12th of May, FTX transferred 90,000 Ether, two point, uh, $211 million, and 6.8 million FTT tokens, $224 million, to Alameda. Uh, the Alameda address 0x780, which was then transferred to Genesis. That same day, FTX sent another 155,000 Ether, $320 million to Alameda, which then eventually was transferred to Genesis once more. May 26th of this year, FTX sent 3.5 million FTT tokens, $1.103 million to Alameda Research, which was eventually transferred to Genesis once more. This well, was David, in May. I, I notice all of these transfers are only going in one direction. This is FTX to Alameda, not the and other then, way and around. And then Alameda to Genesis. Why to Genesis? Because Alameda had loans from Genesis that they needed they to, to collateralize. They were about to be margin called. This ah. was the FTX bailout. This is how FTX plugged the hole temporarily. We were the whole industry it's- was just like gushing flesh wound. And FTT, or excuse me, FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried says, I know what can plug that hole. FTT tokens. <laughs> is it FTT tokens? The yes. All FTT it's a, tokens? a bunch of Ether and also FTT tokens. Okay, where's that Ether coming from? Those are the probably customer deposits, right? <laughs> Those okay, are the so, customer deposits. Yeah, so Alameda gets a, a, a hole blown in it, mm-hmm. like a, a bazooka yep. hole. And yep. then... Uh, and then Sam is doing the the thing where like here's the band-aid over that and what mm-hmm. am I going to do FTT tokens mm-hmm. which is a basically a valueless token that I can mint and mm-hmm. have you know unlimited uh, access to and then depositor funds yep. very likely through probably this investor money to like wherever they could get their hands on so like wow. the, the big question was where did Alameda get all the money to be able to bail out the uh, bail out the industry and the same rules to, to answer this question apply to where Three Arrows Capital got their money to try and uh, plug their holes when they were underwater right before Terra cl- uh, collapsed, which was wherever they could get their hands onto cash. Customer deposits on FTX, which Sam made sure that he was able to do with that custom backdoor. Uh, in the accounting system. In the accounting system. They also minted funny money, FTT, that they use as collateral to borrow from anyone who would take it, regardless of its liquidity profile. Uh, Genesis then took that FTT as collateral and the $2 billion that they raised from investor money. So this was the capital that FTT, FTX and Alameda were using to plug the holes of the Luna collapse. Is it very strange to you that Genesis is using all of these weird, like funny money tokens as collateral? Like yeah, to me, I would be weird. like, my collateral is dollars 
It's Bitcoin and it's ETH. Yep. Anything else, I don't even know about. Yep. Like, don't even come to me with your FTT tokens. I don't. I wouldn't accept that as collateral. I guess they they thought that maybe they hedged against these things. Yep. But of course they didn't. Um, is this uh, where do we go to next? Uh, yeah. So this is just a summary. Uh, Genesis received over a billion dollars of FTT tokens from Alameda and FTX within the last three months. Surprisingly, the hole in Genesis is about $1 billion. <laughs> Weird. Meanwhile, Meanwhile. Uh, on the SEC side versus Grayscale, uh, what are we looking at here? What's um, yeah. the, the House of Gary Gensler doing at the SEC? Yeah, so this is the June 29th announcement that Grayscale initiates a lawsuit against the SEC because the SEC denied their request to turn the GBTC trust into an FT, into an ETF. Uh, and so... Uh, they, in this thread, they, they say, through the ETF application review process, we believe American investors over, overwhelmingly voice a desire to see GPC, GBTC convert to a spot Bitcoin ETF, which would unlock billion dollars of investor capital while bringing the world's largest Bitcoin fund further into the U.S. regulatory perimeter. The SEC is failing to apply consistent treatment to a similar investment vehicles and is therefore acting arbitrarily and capriciously in violation of the Administration Procedure Act and Securities Exchange Act of 1934. <sighs> Why the timing of this to me, Ryan, is really interesting. I think you know how we, we, we started this whole thing with Barry Silber saying, hey, there's a daisy chain of borrowers and lenders. Some are capitalized, yeah. some are not. Yeah. The timing of this when is they sue the SEC the moment that the industry needs the GBTC trust to convert to an ETF the most. Oh, right. The thing that would bail out most of the industry and would actually plug the hole rather than a liquid exchange tokens like FTT would be the unlocking of all the capital that would that is lost because, because right of the now trust. GDBC is way underwater. It's, it's way underwater. trading at a massive discount to NAV, and what's happening is this is making all of the collateral on Genesis mm-hmm. basically underwater, yep. and it is kind of like rocking the entire foundations of this uh, crypto yep. lending and borrowing institutional uh, market. And um, Sean and Sign Shine here is is maybe it's like obviously the whole crypto industry can get around this because yep. we want a uh, ETF product rather than having trust products, mm-hmm. but also selfishly, they kind of need it to bail out Genesis yep. and all of the large institutions that are kind of underwater on their GDBC collateral and ETH collateral. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Meanwhile, what's the SEC doing? <laughs> Charging Kim Kardashian for touting crypto securities. That's what, in the same time frame. That's what the SEC was up to, you, going after think, Kim uh, Kardashian. Do you think Gensler's playing 4D chess here, where he like knows how much pain the crypto industry is in, and is like, I'm not doing this right now. Let's Dude, let you guys like, get crushed. The conspiracy hat is on right now, man. Like, who this, knew about this? This whole when? thing seems like Gary Gensler's like, hey, if I don't uh, allow for the GBTC trust to convert to an ETF, the whole yeah. crypto thing will will like the whole you think he pop, knew that I don't know. Just, I, 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 he probably kind of didn't but man is it just like the scripting on this is insane man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the script writers have outdone themselves in uh, right. season 2022 of crypto all right so that's the uh, sixth domino and then the seventh domino is when we start to see <laughs> the fraud yes. this is the most recent domino mm-hmm. to follow and this takes us to i think like maybe three weeks before that domino yep. fell so right now yep. we're, we're coming we're in october we're like, oh, that was tough. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a Phew. yeah. Glad that's We're over. Glad that's over. We had all of the <laughs> like underwater funds. They're out of here. The algo stable coins are out of here. Now we have the players that are remaining, which is like Binance, 
Coinbase, the responsible exchanges, the responsible funds like Alameda. Good job, guys. You're bailing people out. Thank you so much. Oh, and FTX, of course. Uh, you know, Tom so Brady supports you. So yeah, thankful. You're still here. And then Sam starts to weigh in. This is Sam Bankman Freed on crypto regulation. That's mm -hmm. where we're picking up the story with uh, Domino number seven. So this is the, the famous tweet thread on his current thoughts on crypto regulation. Yeah, and this, this is, of course, where a lot of people started to pay attention to Sam Bankman-Fried. What's he doing over there? And of course, the FTX blog, Possible Digital Asset Industry Standards. Uh, I thought DC Investor had a pretty good take, which I, which I put next, which was SBF is the most val effective value extractor in crypto. He's very transparent in that he wants to siphon value out of your account into whatever causes he claims to care about. Couldn't care less about decentralization. Meanwhile, NPCs and simps worship him like a hero. This was in October 19th, Ryan. This was before all the people... Uh, we all realized that FTX was insolvent. Uh, I, what's interesting is when I saw this tweet from DC Investor, and of course, like um, silently, I'm nodding my head, being like, this could very well be true. This is probably true. And yet, you want know. to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? And so, how do you steel man Sam Bankman Fried's argument uh, around uh, regulation? Right. So, you know, uh, DC. Uh, October 19th is, is painting him as a pure villain. And that was not at all clear at the time that he was. Uh, of course, he turned out to be. I think the, the wording siphoning money out of your account, it's just like so prescient, man. Like that's exactly wow. what happened. And, and yeah. remember how I said like when Three Arrows Capital went under, the last thing that they did was they maxed out the contagion of the system. They were mm -hmm. underwater on GPTC. They were down bad on Bitcoin and ETH. They were down even worse on Soluna AVAX. And so Just while they money from wherever borrow to, money from wherever from you can get, like, unsecured from Voyager, BlockFi, like investors, wherever you can get, like forged documents so you don't have to sell. Well, so you, know, you know, Sam was like, when this recovers, I'll pay all the depositors back. Oh, I'm I sure mean, like, you like, know, that's yeah. true. It wasn't yeah. a long-term plan to, to just be in a, a constant state of like not having a one-to-one -one backing of all of the Bitcoin and ETH on these exchanges. Uh, this is kind of the, the gambler's play. When you're down bad, you borrow and then double down some more. Right. And um, so, yeah, this is the exact same. There's like the through line between SBF and Three Arrows Capital was that in their last moments, they levered up instead of levering down. Instead, instead of, of saying sorry, instead of saying uh, sorry, we screwed up, but we don't want down. to make it worse. <laughs> they their just e were trying to save. Their egos got in the way. They loved their personalities, and they refused to take the L. It was wins. It was going to be a win or destruction. And that is the commonality between both of these parties. And as a, as a result of their ego, Ryan, they made choices that maxed out the contagion in the system, which we are now feeling to its massive effect today but we're still not there yet. Okay, so so this is uh, FTX mm -hmm. at this point in time, and Sam was you know, weighing in on crypto regulation as if everything in his house was like fully in order, and he's just right. helping the, cri the crypto industry have a seat at the table with, with regulators. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, this was the first big report that came out of CoinDesk, yes. uh, right? And so many dismissed it as FUD, as fear, uncertainty, and doubt at the time. But um, this report really revealed that Alameda and S and FTX were kind of interlinked and the balance sheet between these organizations was not looking too healthy. That came out on November the 2nd. This is because what happened was that all the real money, the USEC, the Ether, the Bitcoin and FTX was paid back to their, all their margin calls and all they had left was FTT. Uh, and so they were minting FTT to backstop Alameda 
Uh, and this was also when like a lot of the confusion as to like, all right, where's the line between Alameda and FTX? I don't really know. They're mm. just like swapping FTT tokens between each other. Uh, and so CZ, as a result of this report and a bunch of on-chain analysis, I'm sure, realizes that he's like the last big bag holder of FTT <laughs> that is where FTT is be being used as collateral everywhere. And so CZ is like, well, I'm not going to be like SBF's like, Exit liquidity. Exit liquidity. Right. Like I'm going, to, he's going to be my exit liquidity. So if he's going to do this to me, no, I'm going to front run him. I'm going to dump all of my FTT because I'm not going to be a very public back very publicly. Right. And so because Binance invested in FTX, they had a bunch of FTT tokens. And so at once this report that came out that showed that FTT was being used across the SAM universe as collateral for all of these loans, he's like, well, that puts FTT in an extremely precarious position. I would like to actually cash in on my investment into FTX before it goes to zero. And so I'm going to start selling. And that is where the FTX empire gets punctured. Here he is like tweeting out like here, here's me moving to almost $600,000 of FTT tokens to move to Binance. Uh, and then I really like this tweet, this next tweet, which of course uh, CZ retweeted. Let's be clear. Binance did not define SPF's stance on the bill that's going to regulate DeFi or debate Eric Voorhees on the merits of FTX stance and regulation or ship posts on Twitter or like ruin Alameda's balance sheet or fail to address the concerns of FTT liquidity. Basically, all of this was Sam Bankman-Fried's doing, right? This was his contagion. This was his responsibility. Uh, and then CZ really just drives the point home. Two big lessons. Never use a token you created as collateral. Don't borrow if you're going to run a crypto business, don't use capital efficiently, have a large reserves. Uh, and then Binance says, Binance has never used BNB for collateral. We have never taken on debt. This is the, the striking point of, uh, this was November 9th when we realized, uh, we were first realizing that there was an absolutely massive hole in FTX and Alameda balance sheet. And it just struck me because uh, out of that original regulatory post that um sam bankman fried laid out we actually invited him on the bankless mm -hmm. to have a debate with eric Voorhees on the merits and the path forward for crypto regulation and of course you guys will remember sbf was giving the, the case for why DeFi should be much more harshly regulated including DeFi front ends and he was saying that if we don't do this far worse things will happen this debate was going on in the midst of a 10 to 16 billion dollar hole on the FTX and Alameda balance sheet. Well, this guy in the background knows he has tried to um, cover the Alameda hole by uh, taking taking depositors' funds from an exchange, and he has the audacity, the audacity to argue for greater DeFi, uh, you know, regulation. Uh, it was just an incredibly bizarre uh, you know, episode to have happened. Um, and I tweeted this 11 days ago, we hosted a debate in crypto values with a billionaire who was secretly gambling away billions of dollars of depositors funds. This guy was lecturing us, David, on crypto regulation while committing yep. the biggest fraud in yep. crypto history. And that same day, it finds out that uh, FTX tapped into customer funds uh, to try and plug its $10 billion hole. Well, that was actually where it created the hole. Uh, Crazy, crazy timeline. Back to the SEC, uh, resume that rabbit hole. Here's a tweet that I really liked. Uh, by failing to create an ETF for Bitcoin, the, the SEC, one, allowed the Grayscale GBTC, uh, D, GBTC trade to rip retail investors for five plus years, created the GBTC negative premium, 
forced most crypto trading outside of the U.S. jurisdiction and let FTX's fraud hit millions of Americans it shouldn't have. Ouch. This is where I just get on to like this simulation scripting like conspiracy theory. It's like you could not, as the SEC, created a worse environment to protect retail investors in 2021 and 2022. They created what like one of the re biggest reasons why the contagion was so bad is the SEC is a it's three hours capital's yes. fault it's FTX's fault and it's also the SEC's fault yeah they they certainly created the the circumstances that led to this and for kind of the the arbitrage and greed and i guess closed room meetings to kind of happen right i mean if we just had an ETF product from the beginning this this GDPC arbitrage would not have been there in the first place. I do think they play a role, but but certainly we can't say that um, they are the reason that this happened to crypto. They I were mean, a significant player. Well, obviously the, 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 the greed, the margin uh, trading, the yield chasing, all of the things uh, happening out of 2020 in this effort to get more and more and more, right? Um, we can't, you can't just blame the SEC for like FTX and what Sam Bankman-Fried was doing with Alameda versus like um, there. There are so many um, unethical players involved in this at this point in time that it's just um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a house of actors. Um, this is uh, this was interesting too. Why'd you include this this piece here? The, the story of uh, right. Coinbase dropping its Lend program. Yeah, so Coinbase, which. Uh, didn't have like an earn program with Genesis in the background. I think and they wanted to make this lend program where you could get yield on your deposited assets and they would get yield via their own routes, asynchronous, independent from Grayscale, from, from GBDC, from Genesis. But the SEC denied them. Uh, the SEC said, hey, if you guys do this lend program, we're going to see you, sue you. And so like we had this systemic like lending desk daisy chain of borrowers and lenders that uh, that Barry Silbert talked about. And Coinbase wanted to make this onshore US regulated lending program. And the SEC said, if you guys do that, we're totally going to sue you. And so Coinbase had to drop it. It's absolutely insane. And then remember Brian Armstrong's tweet thread about like how they want to go toe to toe with the SEC. And he starts off this tweet thread. It's like really sketchy behavior out of the SEC. And so like, come on, like, all the onshore regulated stuff we can't do, pushed it all offshore, pushed it all un unregulated, allowed for the FTX fraud to happen, allowed for the three hours capital to defraud investors, and just created this extremely toxic situation outside of the jur jurisdiction that they were able to regulate. You're, uh, you're muted. What's interesting about this, though, David, is like, I'm not sure why Coinbase Lend got the axe, but like, Gemini's uh, earn program didn't, for example, and uh, BlockFi was still able to exist, and some of the other institutional lenders were still able to exist. It does feel very um, arbitrary, I guess. Uh, what's this tweet showing us? This is uh, Colin Wilhelm says, Gensler, who was pressed on CNBC as to why the SEC had gone after lower hanging targets in the crypto space, and if he was hoodwinked by FTX after meeting with them in March. Uh, Gensler replies, building the evidence, Building the facts often takes time. Okay. Uh, this is a response to Elizabeth Warren, who, of course, this is November 9th, um, blamed the crypto industry for the largest collapse in history, shows how much crypto, she says, uh, the industry is uh, smoke and mirrors. And Brian Armstrong replies, FTX was an offshore exchange not regulated by the SEC. And he says the problem is this, that the SEC failed to create regulatory clarity in the U.S., so American 
investors going need to go offshore as well as 95% of trading activity. Punishing US companies for this makes no sense. So um, regulators created this a loophole for uh, some of the, the big villains in this story to, uh, to exploit retail anyway by not approving things and not letting the good guys have a path forward. Um, so now are we here? Now we are at, at present times. Present time, okay? So we've just sp almost. sped run through here. all of this. We're almost here. This, the contagion started to feel like it was spreading beyond um, just the, the SAM FTX empire and other things, of course. Um, when I think my first inkling of this, there's a tweet before this, but when Gemini Earn paused um, their accounts. And so if you were part of Gemini Earn, you could no longer uh, withdraw. That happened, that happened later. So this is November 9th, this tweet that we're okay. looking at, and Gemini Earn paused on November 16th. Okay, so they paused November 16th. So I wasn't even paying attention to this because so much was going on and right. just like following Sam's tweet threads. But what is this tweet from Genesis on November 9th? Yeah, so November 9th tweet from Genesis, and that date's important because the timeline events start to speed up. We want to provide an update on where things currently stand with our lending business. In anticipation of the extreme market volatility yesterday, we hedged and sold collateral, resulting in a loss of $7 million across all counterparties, including Alameda. So Genesis saying, hey, we took a $7 million haircut, but it was to control risk. Uh, the next day, Genesis tweets out and says, we also had $175 million in locked funds in our FTX trading account. This does not impact our market making activities. Uh, fast forward six more days, uh, Genesis halts withdrawals in the wake of the FTX collapse. Uh, and so their lending desk is shut. Gemini Earn is now unable to do a facilitate customer redemptions because they use Genesis in the back end. Uh, and so <laughs> getting closer and closer. Uh, and then this is Grayscale tweeting out on the 16th. So four, uh, six days ago, in the wake of recent events, our, uh, our investors should know that the safety and security of the holdings underlying Grayscale digital asset products are unaffected. This is basically saying, hey, there's Grayscale, there's Genesis, there's a firewall between these things, unlike Alameda and FTX. So I could see how you guys would get that confused. Um, <laughs> uh, but there, the assets inside of uh, Grayscale did not go to Genesis. It's actually the other way around. Um, and this is where we come to today, or just more recent times. Uh, it's apparent from ru the rumor mill, we haven't really seen this confirmed, that DCG owes $1.1 billion to Genesis via an undisclosed promissory note that has been hidden from potential investors, uh, which now indicates why Digital Currency Group is doing a $1 billion raise, which apparently that they cannot find investors for. Uh, and so this timeline of events is kind of, kind of a big oof. Uh, so November 8th, no material net credit exposure. November 9th, we lost $7 million. November 10th, oof, okay, we actually lost $175 million. November 16th, sorry, no new withdrawals. Uh, November 17th, okay, we need to borrow and raise a billion dollars. Uh, November 21th, we'll go bankrupt without the money. Uh, <laughs> it is now, Ryan, November 22nd. That was yesterday. Oh. Let's uh, let's start looking. Has uh, CZ tweeted anything? Has Barry Silbert tweeted anything? Have any of these people weighed in on things? Yeah. Um, so Barry Silbert recently uh, tweeted out something. Uh, I haven't had the time to uh, to look at it yet. Should I pull that up? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So that was the last two years. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're gonna sum summarize this uh, right now, mm. but this looks like a very long dear sh shareholders. Um, uh, message from Barry Silver. This got tweeted out about an hour ago. Yeah. Tweeted out an hour ago. That brings us to the current time. So current time, what everyone wants to know is, is Genesis going under, mm -hmm. right? Um, is 
uh, GDBC backed uh, all the Grayscale products? Is that is that backed by assets somewhere? And there's some kind of um, shakiness as to whether like GDBC and and uh, ETH the ETH products from Grayscale are backed. And Coinbase has has come out and said they're in Coinbase custody. It's all good here. Um, but there's some like fud going on about that. I don't know what's true and what what's not. And the big question is. Is Genesis going to get a, a bailout here? Are they going to be able to raise uh, funds or not? Word on the street uh, recently is that um, CZ looked, as he looked at uh, SBF's balance sheet and FTX Empire's balance sheet and said, nope, I ain't touching it. Also did so with um, the Barry Silbert Empire and stepped away. Uh, so now here we are. Have you, as I was talking had a chance to scan through this, uh, yeah. this letter from Barry. What's it saying? Yeah, the the line they they're basically going through a recap and saying, "Hey, uh, we are we borrowed DCG borrowed a loan from Genesis alongside of hundreds of other crypto investment firms. It's a normal thing that we did, normal business operations." Uh, and in that third paragraph, that third big paragraph, he goes, "Aside from the Genesis Global Capital Intercompany loans due in May 2023." And the long-term promissory note, DCG's only debt is a $350 million credit facility, a small group of lenders led by Eldridge. And so the chatter that I've heard on, on crypto Twitter as well, I've seen my notifications pop up, is that um, uh, the contagion is perhaps not as bad as people thought. However, I will remind people that this is a picture of text and not a verifiable on-chain view source that is DeFi. <laughs> uh, so we are still just trusting people. Uh, but right now, people seem to be like, okay, the contagion's not so bad. Um, but I don't think we will really know until time. So we don't know if Genesis is going under yet. Uh, for for those that have deposits in Gemini Earn, it's very it's contingent upon yep. what happens with uh, with Genesis. I think you're not going to have any answers until the market knows what to do with Genesis. It seems like the GDBC products and the ETH E products. I mean, they're all likely fully backed by the ether and, and Bitcoin behind them. And the big question is if this is the last domino to fall, um, is this gonna take down the digital currency group empire, the house of Barry Silbert with it? Or is the house of Silbert going to survive another bull bear market? Uh, and what will become of Genesis? David, what kind of contagion do you think will, will come falling out of this? And by the way, I, I've seen the chat as we've been talking about this um, also ask about a few other things that like in these types of markets, everything is in question, right? Yep. It's like people are saying, let's get all of our funds out of all of the exchanges. People are saying uh, USDC is not safe. People are saying Tether is not safe. All of these other things. Fear um, is everywhere. Fear is everywhere. So by the way, what I would say is general practice. I hope we have learned at this part in the cycle is don't keep your funds on exchanges, people. Well, bankless for a reason. Go bankless as soon as you can. So that goes without saying and is at any stage in the market, use an exchange like a public bathroom, get in, do your stuff, get out. Okay. So that now like we're going to hammer that home uh, as long as we can. But do you think this is the last domino to fall? Or do you think that there are other landmines here waiting for us like in a, in a stable coin, God forbid tether could it explode? What do you think about this? Well, we, if we don't have as much clarity as DeFi will give us, then we just don't really know. Uh, but there's a reason why I put that pyramid structure at the very beginning uh, with like the pool twos at the top and Grayscale, Genesis, GPDC at the bottom. Uh, I, the gen, this is the epicenter, in my opinion. And this is why uh, I started off this, this whole entire thing stating that 
uh, I can't remember what the term for this, Ryan, is, but there's this term in musical composition where you start like a musical piece, you take the end and you place it at the beginning and then you play that, you play the beginning, which sounds like the end, it sounds like the outro, uh, but then, then it starts. So you start the whole song with the outro and that's what it feels like is going on right now. We started this conversation talking about how Three Errors Capital was the missing was the link between Grayscale and Genesis, and they would borrow a Bitcoin from Genesis, and they would give it to Grayscale, and that would prop up the GBTC trade. The reason why the GBTC premium is negative is because so many people did this, including Thero's Capital. This is where uh, uh, Genesis started making a ton of money, and it's because they were able to facilitate these trades, but they were also able to incentivize the siphoning of money out of retail investors, out of Gemini Earn, out of FTX, out of whoever wanted to get yield. Because again, Ryan, the marker of the 2021 bull market was yield. Where did that yield end up going? Into the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which they could then charge 2% of the AUM as a yearly fee. And that was printing money for Digital Currency Group. And so all of this yield that we got from 10,000%, like, 10,000, 10,000% DeFi yield Ponzi pool twos with stacked on top of pool ones, stacked on top of Alameda and Three Arrows Capital, stacked on top of, you know, Gemini Earn, uh, like all of these lending desks, BlockFi, Voyager was stacked on top of Genesis, which was an umbilical cord to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And that was the foundation of all of the yield that happened over the last 18 months. And why, Ryan, I feel like this is, there's, this is the foundation. This is the, uh, all of that collapse, the collapse of illiquid high-risk assets because the Federal Reserve turned on interest rates, that all of that came collapsing down, and now we're at the bottom. This is the end. You're muted. So Genesis was the tube connecting this whole human centipede yep. contraption together, uh, basically. And this, this kind of does go back to like the dominoes, right? It turns out the dominoes were stacked, but they're kind of in a circle. I think this might be the last domino to fall in the circle. And we certainly hope that's true. But it goes back to the the tweet that we started with, Barry Silbert, the prophet. Um, Why did Barry Silbert see this before everyone else? 2021, uh, that summer, there's a daisy chain of borrowers and lenders in the crypto space. Some are not well capitalized. Lots of leverage in the ecosystem, including some non-obvious places. Important to understand the weak links in the chain the weak links in the chain. And so that brings us to, I think, the question we uh, we started this episode with, and maybe the realization that, that we now have, which is like, if you look at all of the gains of 2021 and even early part of 2022, it now looks like all of those gains were a scam. <laughs> what I mean is just like- 2021 bull mirrors. market was a Ponzi scheme, Ryan. What the hell is our industry? Nothing real happened. Probably <laughs> post uh, January 2021 yes. in terms of fundamental yes. value and utility. And this is how markets go, by the way. This is also how 2017 happened. There was a point at which um, like the price of crypto and particularly Ethereum kind of caught up to the hype. And then after that, it was all kind of ICO raises and smoke and mirrors and nothing, nothing, nothing. Do you remember the euthanasia roller coaster? Yep. Okay. Yep. The first couple of loops feel pretty great. fun. They're actually valuable. 
by the ninth loop or so, you're dead. Sick. You're actually dead. G-force is killed. Well, you're dead. <laughs> so you can, I mean, you will be dumped off, right? So this is this is essentially how these cycles go. And it's it's what's interesting to me is like, remember we started this episode trying to explain all of this with in January 2021, what was the price of ETH? That was $1,000 right now. Well, where are we? We're back to ETH at $1,000. And that the reason I say ETH is because um, it's kind of like, for me anyway, it's sort of like that blue chip asset of like, it kind benchmark. of is, yeah, it's the benchmark asset for me. It's really what I denominate in, uh, like to a lesser extent, Bitcoin, but much more ETH than Bitcoin for me. And look, we've just erased all of the gains from 2021 forward. But now maybe there's some hope in that, okay? Because we there was fundamental value from uh, back from like 2016, uh, you know, up, up, up to now. We didn't even have DeFi in the 2018 cycle when 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 the um, bull market came crashing to a halt we were propelled into another bear market now we have all of this stuff maybe a fair price for that is around hot, very low four digit eth maybe that's the fair price and we just hit the rewind button and now we're in a rebuild phase again that's what this is telling me as well and so much has evaporated um but also the feeling that like david um i'm buying eth this week um, you know, it's not quite triple digits, so I'm not deploying like everything, all the dry powder for that, but like we are approaching the lows. Yeah. I think we're right. approaching the end the of the bottom. And mirrors, right? No more pool twos. When's the last time you heard the phrase pool two? Yeah, it's all gone. Um, so wow, I guess we could have like stopped the podcast in January, 2021, and then just resume now and been okay. <laughs> without so like, all of the pain and learnings <laughs> the other big takeaway that uh that i've gotten from this is like one of vitalik's takes was that he was really glad that we haven't had etfs approved because mm. if we did all of our ponzi shenanigan games would have gone into retail investors even more like that that's what he said like the world we are as an industry not ready for an etf because look at the games that we play but they still did that's the thing is they still did they still found their way and squeezed in there you can't actually um plug that you know there's no way to kind of plug that because the way they found their their way to retail was through like three steps of the human centipede if you had to go through um genesis and then three hours capital and then ultimately you got your yield in gen in gemini earn so retail still found these things so i don't think i don't even think that would have protected us it's just if you're playing the crypto game, right, you have to kind of protect yourself. Don't invest more than you for, afford to lose. Um, careful when you look at that yield. Where does it come from? Uh, do you know? Um, look, man, crypto is volatile enough. Like maybe don't go after yield. Um, take like stake your ETH. Just hold it. There's all sorts of lessons coming out of that that, that we've learned. But um, do you feel somewhat defeated? Like. Yeah, dude, last like, two this years is have the been a second waste. bull market that I've been through <laughs> where both of them are just gigantic Ponzi schemes. And like, is that just what crypto cycles are? Is like, we yes. just find a new way to find a new Ponzi scheme. And then yes. like, dude, what, how many times, like the reason why it was, I was real, it was real until, um, it was real and look at, it was real until at, it wasn't, it was real until the end of 2020. Yep. That was all legitimate and like. Yep. Yes, uh, we have built something real here, and then it stopped being real. And it's no mistake to me, like, or it's no accident to me that um, we see people like Chris 
uh, Berninski like kind of check out, you know, sometime early 2021 be like, this is stupid. This has gone too far and start to get bearish. It's because he saw the signs of just the kind of Ponzi game smoke and mirrors that happened after that. But that doesn't mean David that um, each cycle we haven't built, you know, things that didn't exist the previous cycle and just kind of added like our, our, um, our bottoms are, are lower. Right. And um, I mean, our last bottom was 80 ETH. We're not even going to touch that this cycle. Like, look, I, you know, I don't trade market, like, but like, we're not going there, not even close. Um, so yeah, so that, the timing of that Molly White episode where she's like, yeah, but like the what crypto brings to the table versus the harm that it creates, she's like, is not worth it. And just but like, she's going to be moment- right. She's going to be right in the short run, but lo- wrong in the long uh, run. I think is the, kind of the arc of critics. So how um, many more cycles are Ponzi schemes <laughs> versus when we actually have sustainable real world use cases? How many more Ponzi? What schemes if it's do we every have? cycle? What if it's every? It's every cycle I've been in. I mean, it's kind of the Bitcoin fork mania. Is that like our new branding? It's like, hey guys, come in during the bear market, stick around for the bull market, make sure that you exit at the top of the Ponzi scheme and don't don't go on loops four through 10, get off at loop three of the euthanasia roller coaster. Oh, just dollar cost averaging the whole time and just don't play the games and just like back to, I remember the, the like the first bankless post uh, we wrote about like Bitcoin and Ether are the only assets that matter. And that was a thesis about like crypto money and value accrual in the base protocol, right? Um, there's other assets that are going to be important as productive assets, but like those are, and I'm back to like, what am I excited about right now? It's primarily ether. Like yeah. I'm, I'm kind of back to that post from, uh, you know, 2019. Mm. It's a full, it's a full reset. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's the other lesson from all of this. Um, Wow. <laughs> Waste of time. I don't know. I don't know what the last uh, two years have been, David, but um, they've been something. I feel older. I remember I remember like getting so optimistic and just happy about like NFTs and how they were going to come and like revitalize human culture and like like allow artists to like create. And like, and like, oh, crypto's finally here. Like we made it through the 2018 to 2020 bear market and we're finally mainstream now. And then I look at all the, like the shenanigans that we got up to in 2021. I'm like, dude, we are so far away. I'm just reminded of two things. One thing is uh, something that Vance Spencer said on another podcast, which is like, you, you measure the success from cycle to cycle, not by the, not by the peaks, but by the troughs, right? And so what's the, kind of the lowest point? That's the actual value. Measure trough to trough rather than peak to peak. Okay, that's the way you make sense of these markets. So that's kind of the investor tip. And the, the other thing is um, somebody asked me uh, earlier this week, um, hey, this this market's pretty bad. Like the 2022 bear market is pretty bad. Um, like, have we ever been through something comparable? Do you still think, because they heard me say that you know 2018 was still worse. Do you still think 2018 was worse? And I, I just want to come back and say, having been through these market cycles, I, sp- I think I speak for many of the veterans. Is, um, yeah, 2018 was still a whole lot worse than this. I don't know. And the difference. I, I'll push back on that. Because- okay, well, so let me state my case, and you can give me the pushback. The difference for me is 2018 felt like we might not make it, like yeah. we might not recover. So the difference to me was like um, Ether still didn't, Ethereum didn't have product market fit. Bitcoin did. I knew Bitcoin would recover, but I didn't know that there'd be a future in crypto for smart contract platforms, for anything beyond Bitcoin. Uh, and Ether was just like, 
I don't know, it could actually die. It might not be able to scale. It might not be like do all of these things. And so that was existential. This time, I am not at all worried about the existential risk of the core crypto assets like um, like Ethereum, uh, for example. And last time it was much different than that. So last time I was a little, uh, it was a much harder to press the buy button in the depths of the 2018 bear market. It is not so hard now in 2022. And that's why I, I kind of measure it. But yeah, what's your perspective on this? Do you think it's worse? I 100% agree with that take. Whether or not this current bear market is worse than the 2018, uh, like, uh, yeah, so like crypto peaked at December of 2017 and then it bottomed in like December of 2018. Which one was worse? Uh, Ether and Bitcoin went down way more in last bull market than this bull market. 83% so, for Bitcoin, yeah. 95% for ETH. Right. And so by that measure, this bull market or this bear market is not as bad. However, in 2018, well, I guess we had ICOs and ICOs kind of went down 99%. Maybe that was pretty damn bad. Not we didn't, just ICOs, we didn't have like people... Cardano, like um, all sorts of things went down that hard. Well, Cardano plus. came back actually. So I like, did, yeah. yeah. I did. Uh, like Substratum, like remember those like stupid ICO tokens, those went to zero. So maybe, maybe yes. that was worse. Um, but the things I don't remember in uh, 2018 was uh an exchange as equivalently large as ftx go to zero and take all used customer deposits with it same no, thing sucks. with celsius uh same thing with BlockFi. same so things with like people that attracted more, retail yes it's affected more so, like, innocence people that owned bitcoin and ether like oh we're only down 60 percent versus the 85 to 95 percent but some people ryan are down 100 percent, and a lot mm. of them are retail yes i i see when you when you invest your money like you think you're putting your money into a centralized exchange, you think that's a bank type experience. Remember where... Luna, like Luna DeFi, it's great, twenty percent yield. Oh well, well, no, Luna it's DeFi, zero. I feel like is a little bit like more degen on the spectrum, but like, but FTX... no, they had, they had centralized lending to like, hey, come and just like wire us money, and we'll give you like twelve percent yield, and that yeah. that sucked them so much money out of Asia. I see. Yeah, I, I, I get it from that perspective. So your argument is that 2022 is worse in that it impacted more kind of like, I guess, innocence. Let's just call them like people that weren't playing the pure degen game. There was more and, capital um, destructed, certainly, because like the total crypto oh, market. There's way more capital destructed. Right. And so sure. by that measure, like this bear market has been like two to four times worse in terms yes. of capital destroyed. Yes, I think that's true. I think that's another way to look at it. My way of looking at it was more like... Um, you know, because now what's going to be, look, guys, the next, if you're listening still now is the next few months of your life in crypto, if you're still here, if you, if you want to be that seller, not that tourist, it's just going to be complete. It's going to be crypto is dead, never going to recover. Be boring. FTX, um, like was the end of crypto, scam the entire industry, like, and this will be month after month after month coming from here. Right. And so you'll feel like it really is dead. Once we get six more months into this, nine more months into this, you'll feel like it's dead. And um, I guess the difference there when I compare that to 2018 is like, I kind of felt like maybe it was possible that the bankless die. future was actually going to die. This time, I know there's no effing way. I'm confident that we will recover and we won't, we won't build back in the fragile way that we've built this industry, which is like, the genesis lending and kind of the um the centralized exchange and the custodial like we'll learn the lessons and we'll build back stronger 
In 2018, I was not sure that that would happen. In 2022, I sit here, even though the impact is greater in terms of total capital affected and innocence and all of these things, I am much more confident that we're going to come back like close approaching 100% um, certainty. Again, look, this is just me. Again, we're going to end this episode with all the usual disclaimers, which I could like, we could be wrong. SASA class <laughs> could drop to zero. Like we could be completely wrong in all of these things, but that's the way I'm feeling versus 2018. It's much different. Yeah. I think, uh, in 2018, can people go bankless was in question in 2022 can be people go bankless seems like the most simple and logical and justified and supported path forward. In fact, how do we build back better? It's by not doing centralized lending and doing bankless lending. So actually, I think where like previously we thought like, oh, maybe maybe this thing won't really work. Now I'm like, this is the only way that that works. <laughs> yeah, there's no other option. <laughs> well, that's it, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, David, thanks so much, man, for doing all the research to put this together and put these uh, pieces in play. I, I course, do man. think that this is... Um, yeah, this is a really good analysis of, of what the heck happened the last 18 to 24 months. Uh, I don't think uh, anyone's sure. actually put this full comprehensive story together. Because like no. we, we needed the DCG grayscale piece, piece of the puzzle, to map everything together. Yeah. And now we know. Yeah. Yeah. And whether grayscale, whether, sorry, whether Genesis falls or not, I think this is still like probably the last domino the to, to fall in this guys of course thanks for hanging with us risks and disclaimers gotta remind you once again none of this has been financial advice this entire asset class could drop to zero we have no idea uh what we're doing eth is risky crypto is risky DeFi is risky as well you could lose what you put in but we are headed west this is the frontier it's not for everyone but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey thanks a lot